Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. So is there like a gas leak or is there... We don't know what the fuck it is. We got people vomiting blood, all kinds of shit. It smells like chlorine. It smells like chlorine. Yeah. A whole lot of chlorine. So on the day of the chlorine attack, I was at the rave or the dances on the bottom floor of the hotel. On the day of the attack, I was... It's, it was a normal day. Everybody's having a lot of fun. Everybody's very busy. It was roughly after a quarter after 11 at night. And I was, um, I had a friend over. We had pizza and we were fooling around and, you know, just relaxing, usual con vibe. And as we were getting dressed, uh, the fire alarm was pulled. So we thought someone was just doing a prank. We, we weren't thinking about it too seriously. So on the night of the chlorine attack at Midwest Fur Fest, uh, we just saw a whole bunch of fire trucks, ambulances. And all of a sudden, like, we're hearing alarms, we're seeing fire trucks, where everybody is pouring out of the Hyatt, and they are in the cold, in the snow, there's, like... You know, they're shivering. Five minutes went by, and we hear a lot of commotion and pandemonium. Uh, and they had staff members that were coming around to tell us that we needed to evacuate. And, you know, there was a lot of extended alarms, and we figured, all right, this is a serious situation. And we all walk outside, and we have literally no idea what's going on. There's, like, a fire trucks out there, a thousand people, people walking out in kink gear. That was hilarious. Uh, but it was, it was complete chaos, and no one knew what was happening. In December of 2019, Katie Stoll, Cody Johnston, and me, Robert Evans, headed to Midwest Fur Fest, the world's largest furry convention. The most direct reason okay, we were there. Okay, oh, hold on, real quick, Robert. Yeah? Uh, I think that we should just take a quick beat to explain for our listeners what furries are and what Midwest Fur Fest is. 
Cody, do you have that definition that you pulled up earlier? I do. Great. Let me have it. The furry fandom is a subculture interested in anthropomorphic animal characters with human personalities and characteristics. Examples of anthropomorphic attributes include exhibiting human intelligence and facial expressions, speaking, walking on two legs, and wearing clothes. The term furry fandom is also used to refer to the community of people who gather on the internet and at furry conventions. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, But I thought that we shouldn't just share that because it's pretty clinical and... At least for me, my experience at the Midwest Fur Fest was anything but clinical. Midwest Fur Fest being the annual furry convention that we attended, along with 14,000 other people back in December. Yeah, it's a delightful uh, community. So um, welcoming. And I think one, one thing that a lot of people assume instantly is that, like, furries, it's a kink thing. Right. It's, and yeah, that, it's a sex what thing. It's for. Yeah. Um, and that's really not true. I honestly didn't get any of that here. I mean, <laughs> I, I've commented about this with both of you guys, but walking in, I, I was just astounded by all the love. I mean, you can't turn a corner without seeing people giving each other really loving, amazing hugs. The kind of hug that's like, I'm just so glad you're alive and you're here and I love you, you know? Yeah. It's it's a thoroughly positive place. And there definitely is, like, I don't want to pretend it's not a thing. Right. Like, there is, like, a, a kink dimension of it. There was, like... In the big area where they sold all of the different sort of furry products, there was a cordoned off room that you had to show your ID to get in um, that was like, this is where we do the kink stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, This is where we like sell the kink products. But it's, you know, it's a it's a large minority, but it's a minority of like the reason people go to that sort of thing. Like it's not what it's about. And we will get into this later on and in part two of this series. Mm -hmm. But the main thing that I think at least. From the people that we spoke with, the main thing that that brings them here is the feeling of acceptance that whoever they are, they feel free to express that here and that they might not necessarily be able to in their normal life and that this place has helped them find out who they really are. And and so I think that's a really beautiful thing to keep in mind. It was beautiful. Uh, and it had nothing to do with why we decided to go to Midwest Fur <laughs> right, Fest right. because the most direct reason that we went there was because Milo Yiannopoulos, former writer with Breitbart.com, uh, currently disgraced over a pedophilia scandal and sort of right-wing firebrand, uh, had recently made the news for registering for the convention and then getting immediately banned from it. <laughs> he and his friends had promised to infiltrate the event, and there were rumors that the Proud Boys would be in tow and rumors that, like, anti-fascist furries would wind up fighting with them. So we figured we'd better show up. That's right. We did. But... Even outside of that, what we were really more interested in learning about was something that had happened at Midwest Fur Fest years ago, back in 2014. A chlorine gas attack had been carried out against the convention, hospitalizing several people and leading to intense debate as to whether or not what had happened was an accident or a terrorist attack. The thing is, it was never really confirmed that it was like, you know, like some sort of outside source who did this. Like, I honestly think it was just another person in this community just being really stupid, honestly. I really can't say because I really don't know. It could have been malicious and intentional. It could have been an accident. And as we were evacuating, um, people were texting, tweeting. I mean, everybody was going nuts. You know, is this some cleaning accident? Is it something from the pool? And people are like, well, there's no pool in this hotel. It can't be the pool. And so they were like, well, maybe someone's cleaning the carpets. And and eventually it turned out, no, no one was cleaning the carpets. <laughs> Whoever was responsible for this attack may have been acting, you know, as a maverick, 
you know, whether they have something against the furry fandom, whether they don't, they don't like the more open leftist culture that we have here in the furry fandom, or if it was someone who was just trying to get attention. But the more we dug into it, the clearer it became that what happened in 2014 was no accident. It was a terrorist attack, one that originated from inside the furry fandom. The chief suspect is a fellow generally referred to as the Confederate fursuiter, or... Magnus Stridian. Magnus runs a custom fursuit company and has a bit of a history of what you might call trolling the libs. The year after the chlorine attack, he started wearing a fursuit with a gigantic Confederate flag on it during furry gatherings. But even before that, he was notorious. Magnus Stridian has a long track record of many decades of running in with the police, including smoke bombing a bank... Um, which uh, he's been in and out of trouble. And he's known in the furry communities for causing trouble as well. He's just one of those people uh, that tends to cause, some people call it drama, some people just call it trouble. Um, He came last year and got frog marched away in his tidy whities after punching a pregnant woman. We'll talk more about this in part two. What's important right now is that in 2014, Magnus had a reputation as an aggressive troll and a history of legal trouble. Rumor is he was staying at the Hyatt on the 10th floor. So uh, apparently there were a bunch of furry writers staying at the Hyatt on the 10th floor. Which, yeah. But again, rumors. Rumors. I don't know. Keep all of that in mind as we continue this story. Now, if you heard about the chlorine attack on Midwest Fur Fest at all, it was probably through a series of breathless headlines like, Suspected gas attack at furry convention puts 19 in hospital from Kotaku, or Midwest Fur Fest disrupted by chlorine gas attack from People magazine. Since the identity of the culprit was unclear, the coverage never went beyond window gazing. As the months and years went on, the 2014 attack faded from the public eye. Outside the furry community, a far-right neo-fascist movement nurtured on the internet gradually leaked out into the broader American public in 2015 and 2016. 2016 is, interestingly enough, the year the FBI finally opened their investigation into the attack on the Midwest Fur Fest. About two years. It took about two years for me to see any action from a law enforcement agency. When we decided to go to Midwest Fur Fest, our goal was to put out a quick episode of Worst Year Ever the very next week. But the more people we talked to, the more it became clear that the story here was deeper than the tale of a single unsolved terrorist attack. And it was certainly deeper than Milo's lame attempts at trolling. What we found at Midwest Fur Fest was the story of a community threatened by the same forces of violent extremism that have been increasingly tearing into the heart of American society since 2016 and how they came together to fight those forces. People we met at Fur Fest furnished us with hours of interviews and dozens upon dozens of pages of archived chat logs and videos detailing an internal battle that's been raging in the fandom for half a decade or more. We're here today to deliver you that story. Because what the furry community learned in those years contains lessons that all of us, everywhere, will need to learn if we're going to survive the worst year ever. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. Everything is so dumb, 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 Let's start by meeting some of the people we spoke with over the weekend. They all had different experiences with and opinions on what was going down in their community. First was Brenda. Hi, my name is Brenda Banks. Um, I've been involved with this community for, I guess, 11 years now. Um, I'm a drag queen, and I dance, entertain, and such. 
the furry aspect of this is not as important to me as some other people, but I'm still here to have fun. And their friend Lucky. I'm Lucky. Um, my persona is a tiger, Siberian tiger. <laughs> and uh, I've been in this fandom for almost three years now. Then there was Goku. I go by Goku. I've been in the fandom for nearly eight years uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I had a nervous breakdown. I couldn't handle my life in New York. And very randomly, I found a website about anthropomorphic culture. And I started doing some deep, deep research about it and realized that this is something that I want to be part of my life. Chip. I found the furry fandom well after I created a character. So I created an animal avatar version of myself because I kind of thought cartoons and animal people were more appealing than the rest of humanity because I kind of had a dark outlook on the human condition. And I was like, well, maybe I just don't want to be human at all. And, of course, Dio. So my online handle is Dio Taz Devil. And I, uh, I kicked a hornet's nest and everything kind of rolled from there. But before we move on, we should address the Yanopolis in the room. Or rather, the Yanopolis who wasn't in the room. Because Milo or any of his you know, minions or cohorts, whatever word you want to use, um, I don't think they're going to be very successful. Because while there are some furries who may identify with Milo and like that he's a positive person or influence, I'd say there's an overwhelming number of people who at the very least are not fond of his rhetoric or what he stands for and any attempts of him trying to sabotage what we're doing by having a good time and enjoying our weekend is not going to go along very well. And despite his noble goal of, according to a post of his on Telegram, quote, you have to destroy the shit they love, end of quote, he never showed up because he wasn't going to get the reaction or attention he so desperately craved and knew he probably wouldn't even get in. So for the final word on Milo, here are Brenda and Lucky. Milo is <laughs> such a laughingstock at this yeah. point. Like, um, if he ever listened to this for some reason, I'm sure he'd be jerking off to the fact that we're talking about oh, him. Yeah, like, no, I'm sure he'd, he'd love and revel in the fact that we're talking about him. And so we'll never mention him again for this entire episode. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together or not. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. 
LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The real story, as far as we're concerned, started a little after midnight on December 7, 2014, when a person, or persons unknown, carried out a chlorine gas attack on the denizens of the Hyatt Regency Hotel during Midwest Fur Fest. Five minutes went by, and we hear a lot of commotion and pandemonium. Uh, I was higher, I believe, on the ninth floor that year of this hotel. And they had staff members that were coming around to tell us that we needed to evacuate. And, you know, there was a lot of extended alarms, and we figured, all right, this is a serious situation. So I get as many of my clothes on as I, I possibly can in a rush, and we all meet down at the, the parking area of the hotel. A lot of people are just, you know, what's going on? Is, it, is this just a prank? Is there a serious issue? And... We see hundreds and then soon to be thousands of people just like coming out who were at the dances, who were having dinner at the bar, in the hotel rooms, just relaxing. And it's an absolute mess. So we're waiting and we're waiting as we see the fire trucks come, the police officers, and we really have no idea of what's going on. It was a bitterly cold night, very windy, about 25, 30 degrees. I just remember just like huddling up. I lit up a cigarette and for about 45 minutes or so, we were outside and the police started to show up and the news crews started to report about what had happened. Given the fact that this was a literal chemical weapons attack on a group of civilians on American soil, you might have expected the media to treat it with some gravity. If so then you're forgetting the fact that the victims of this chemical weapons attack were wearing fursuits, which clearly rendered them as undeserving of sympathy in the eyes of Mika Brzezinski and the cast of MSNBC's Morning Joe. That's crazy. The Chicago Tribune, 19 people were hospitalized at a furry convention in Illinois after what's being called an intentional lake of chlorine What's a furry? Convention. Did I get that wrong? Oh, gosh. Okay. Sent the hotel guests along with convention attendees into the cold night, many still dressed in their furry, furry costumes. <laughs> we just told Mika what the convention was about. She's... It's kept everybody warm was the good news. The hotel was Where are you going? contaminated. Hey! Guests came back come inside back. at 4 a.m. What you're hearing at the end there is Joe Scarborough and Mika laughing so hard that they can't talk. Mika actually breaks down with giggles and runs off stage. This is, again, over an intentional chemical weapon attack that hospitalized 19 Americans. Remembering a lot of the news stories that were running on local television, it was a lot of fodder. Like, I don't think anyone was taking it seriously because even in the mid-20-teens, I think furry was something that was very overlooked and they weren't, you know, when the mainstream media was talking about it, they don't know how to discuss this. 
Um, some of them were neutral in their tone and just described that, you know, a convention like an anime or a comic convention, you know, there was a disruption of a major magnitude because of someone trying to, um, you know, use an improvised explosive or meth cooking or what have you. And I remember it was one of the national news channels who was covering what happened uh, that night and the reporters were just laughing. I don't know why, you know, whether it was the fact that they couldn't grasp the idea of such a subculture or that, you know, something like this had happened. or I don't know. It was a bunch of hogwash. I didn't really care for it. The hosts of Morning Joe weren't the only ones who found this all very funny. Here's CBS This Morning. The Chicago Tribune says 19 people were hospitalized at a convention celebrating furry animals. A chlorine leak at a hotel in Chicago suburb forced the evacuation of thousands of people Sunday. They were attending Midwest Fur Fest. Many were dressed as animals. A powdered form of chlorine gas was left in a stairwell on the ninth floor. Even in the relatively good coverage, like this story from WKRC-TV Local 12 in Chicago, you can hear the anchor just barely managing to hold back a snide comment. This was at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, where people had gathered for an annual furries convention. Okay. Now, contrast all that with this actual audio from the night of the attack. I have a key to Are we taking the stairs, or...? There's gas. Shouldn't we think? Okay. Go, go. One more, go. Get over here. Come on. All right. We gotta go. Oh, go on. Go, go, go. Get on. Get in here. Hurry the fuck up. Come on. So is there like a gas leak or is there? We don't know what the fuck it is. We got people vomiting blood, all kinds of shit. It smells like chlorine. It smells like chlorine. Yeah, honestly, listening to that makes me feel very emotional. Yeah, yeah. And this is y'all's first time listening to that media. I found it as we were like putting together the script for this. And it really... um, makes it clear what happened. Like, mm-hmm. it's easy when you, you, you kind of are just, like, looking at the coverage of an event like this to forget what something like that actually sounds like, sounded mm-hmm. like at the time, and it, it's horrifying. And just the terror and the panic that you can hear, and they don't know if they're supposed to go down the stairs or take the elevator, and the stairs are where the attack was. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's something that we're about to get to. Uh, one of the yeah. people that we spoke with uh, had a friend who evacuated through the stairwell and caused severe long-term health problems you know it was it was on the 10th floor and i had a friend staying on the 10th floor and of course at that time we didn't know i found out later um she had gone outside of her room and it was on the 10th floor in the stairwell that i think it was an accident maybe perhaps or not i can't say i don't think anybody really knows um Maybe the feds do. <laughs> Good luck. They're not telling me. <laughs> um, but she got there. There were the alarms. And she went into the stairwell to try and escape. And wrong stairwell. Chlorine sinks. So she's going down. She's getting worse. And she burned her lungs pretty badly. Um, she, at that time, was a self-employed artist and didn't have health insurance. The ambulances were there. 
she refused to go on the ambulance and get seen because she was worried about the health care costs that she could not afford. Um, and she struggled for almost a year afterwards with the effects of that. While few reporters took it seriously right away, the attack on Midwest Furfest was at least immediately treated as a serious crime by law enforcement. Vice reporting from 2016 confirmed that the Rosemont Police Department opened an investigation on December 8th and closed it on July 29th, 2015, without having identified a culprit. Rosemont's records, obtained by Vice, showed that the FBI did email the department its report on the attack, but it doesn't seem like they had any clearer of an idea about who was at fault. Chip, a furry, a filmmaker, and an activist wound up being approached by the Bureau to help in their investigation. Two years later, in 2016. I learned some things about this after the convention, mainly because I'm in Colorado around uh, the same area that a group called the Furry Raiders exists. So in Colorado, this Furry Raiders group is known for being inclusive of racists and inclusive of pedophiles and inclusive of zoophiles. And they're sort of a group no one wants to be around. They're very alt-right. Um, and they're famous for wearing Nazi-esque armbands. And so because I was near there, uh, I got contacted by the police and the FBI saying, hey, we have a suspect in your area. Can you tell us anything about him? And um, so he apparently... Um, was a suspect, even though he didn't go to Furfest. Uh, his name is Foxler. Foxler didn't go to Furfest. Uh, he's actually never been to the convention. The reason he's a suspect is because he was encouraging attacks on events. Um, he liked getting conventions shut down. He liked harassing people. He liked causing problems. And he has a group dedicated to harassment and somewhat stochastic terrorism. So he likes to cause problems, uh, hurt people, uh, threaten them with guns, uh, call them during the night and say, better keep your doors locked or I'll come in your house and kill you. And he does all this for, I guess, attention and the fact that nobody likes racists. We're going to have to digress here because the story of Foxler is something that takes some unpacking. He gained a measure of national prominence back in 2017 when Rolling Stone put a picture of him in his fursuit at the top of a big article called, Does the Furry Community Have a Nazi Problem? The name Foxler is, most presume, a furified version of Hitler. Foxler is somebody who, so he swears he's not a Nazi, but he loves to dress up in Nazi paraphernalia, which makes so much sense. He swaps out the swastika for a paw print, so that makes it okay. And then he stands for a lot of Nazi-ish values, while still claiming he's not a Nazi, of course, because he's not. He's not a Nazi. And, but then he's also um, been convicted of pedophilia and has a history of doing unspeakable things to animals. So we generally do not like this man. Nobody likes him. He's been escorted out of conventions because he is just such disgusting human filth. He's a figurehead for the alt-right of the fandom, uh, alt-furries, you know, um, and glorifies Hitler, advocates for a white ethnostate, you know, that, that type of person. Also thinks that uh, his dog is his girlfriend. Foxler. Foxler is the leader of the Furry Raiders, um, which is a group he created 
that's based off of the old Second Life group called the Furzy, which were Nazi furries. Um, he took a lot of their imagery, including an armband, and made it his own. Uh, he's posted a lot of very racist things online, a lot of comments like that. Some very strange journal posts that imply that he's having uh, sexual relationships with dogs and perhaps kids. Um, but he's also a terrible writer, so you know it's vague. Who knows? I'm suspicious, but you know, uh, I can't say anything for sure because that would definitely be like defamation. <laughs> Please don't ever sue me. We can't verify the wanting to fuck dogs thing beyond a shadow of a doubt, but the insinuations of child molestation are no longer theoretical. In April of 2019, Lee Miller, Foxler's real name, was arrested for enticement of a child. Foxler does deny being a Nazi. He claims the name is a portmanteau of Fox and his last name, Miller. Here's him explaining why he tried to join a neo-Nazi organization for totally non-Nazi reasons. And I decided to actually get involved with some neo-Nazi groups to see how they were like. You know, can't judge people right away. You gotta go in there and get your hands dirty. Well, your paws dirty. Whoops. <laughs> and, you know, I signed up for the little forum online, paid my $25 membership, and uh, they wanted me to show that I was faithful to um, Nazism. I feel like we should take a second here to explain how this guy looks, particularly his eyes. Unbelievably creepy. It's so creepy. Yeah. Like the fursuit is built for him. Mm -hmm. It's like an amazing example in a lot of ways. Like it's creepy as hell, his fursuit, but it's an amazing example of how these suits can like capture the personality yeah. of a person. Yeah. Because you see like the madness in this person's eyes and the fake eyes of his costume. It's it's something right. else. Yeah, <laughs> and the way he carries himself and communicates and uses that, mm -hmm. to, it's, very, he's a, it's a very creepy, uh, lifeless fursuit. <laughs> Now, Foxer claims that when the Nazis found out he was mixed race and a furry, they refused to let him in. But that story, if true, shouldn't be taken as a sign that the far right has no interest in recruiting furries. The furry fandom actually started dealing with the rise of the alt-right years before mainstream society. So there's, for a couple of years, we've been noticing an encroachment of far right-wing groups that have been trying to recruit within the furry fandom. And to a degree that can be because furry is largely white, largely male, and largely very young. Also, I hate to say it, but often socially, um, those social skills are underdeveloped sometimes. Mm -hmm. Bullied as kids, they're looking for their home. And you know, you couple that with economic hardships, um, cultural shifts, problems, and they are looking for answers. They're looking for what makes sense. And white nationalists see this as easy prey because they come along and they say, I have the answer. I have the solution. And You're one of us. Hitler. You're very <laughs> special. You've always been special. 
the people who built bridges, the people who spanned nations, conquered the world. Those are your people. Those are your things. You're no longer a schlubby little white dude in a sad little basement. You are a great white race. And for some people, unfortunately, that's very, very addictive. Alt furs are people who are generally alt-right, and they form several factions. One of them is the Furry Raiders, one of them is Alt-Furry, another one is called Civil Furries, but they're all just groups that like to say uh, racial slurs, and they usually hate LGBTs in some form, or they say they're LGBT and they hate the LGBT community, but it's typical alt-right people who happen to be furries and generally they're shunned by the entire furry fandom because no one wants to be around that kind of negativity and hate now in the uh i don't know what to call it mainstream world default world anti-fascist groups like eugene antifa here in oregon have taken to infiltrating and doxing major neo-nazi organizations and militias Dio basically does the same work within the furry fandom she sees it as a form of community self-defense I infiltrated the group to kind of keep an eye on them and you know when you get into the group you had to pass a voice interview you yeah you have to call in so that they would give you clearance for further channels and then they had tier systems where you would earn your way up by doing things for the higher ups by recruiting more members by posting more by being more active um, they had a list of videos that you were supposed to watch so that you would be more aware. A lot of these videos are what you'd expect from Nazis. Documentaries about how the Holocaust didn't happen and Hitler was a cool dude, etc. But since they were recruiting furries, they tailored their propaganda to that demographic. They take Disney songs and they take Disney movies, animated Disney movies, which are already really appealing to furries. Mm -hmm. Sure. And they changed the lyrics to, unfortunately, very catchy, horrible white nationalist things. And, yeah, I remember watching one of those videos and being like, oh, my God, this is, unfortunately, very well done propaganda. Here's the circle of life from The Lion King, but racist. Of course you should feel proud to be white. Our race has achieved many great things. As you go through life, you'll see you're expected to be scared and ashamed. White identity suppressed, culturally dispossessed, and always blamed. But study history, and you'll very quickly see our race filled the world with hope and light. Medicine, industry, rule of law and liberty. We are more than we are. We are white. So that was a thing. Wow, I mean, uh, gross. I mean, just like just finding out new ways to recruit kids. I mean, creative. It's fun. I hated it then and I hate it now. It's bad. Welcome to the worst 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Everything's so dumb, 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 dumb. Now, some of the alt fur movement was organic because uh, there's nothing about being into anthropomorphic animals that means you can't also be into national socialism. But Dio argues that a number of non-furry white nationalists and fascists saw the fandom as a good recruiting ground simply because furries tended to be young, male, white, and disaffected. And then this group was like, furries are a ripe ground, nobody's going after these guys, we'll go after these guys. You know, they're degenerates now, but we'll clean them up, polish them up, get them out of furry, move them to the right, and all's well with the world. We actually have a recording from one of these Nazis, the guy who f- created the first alt-furry group online, explaining all of this in his own words. Thanks to Dio for doing the digging necessary to find this, um, gym. When I started the alt-furry HQ server, which is the old server that we used to have, I made it specifically uh, an alt-right furry server. Um, and that was back at the time the alt-right was different from what it is today, but... Um, I made it an alt-right server, alt-right furry server, with the idea that we could organize and then benefit from the synergies of some of the outside cultural forces, uh, such as uh, 4chan or the you know various other things, poll and. And, and various other things that are, you know, the, the Pepe crowd, various other things that are oftentimes associated with the alt-right. A furry subculture is a huge subculture, and it is it is a successful subculture, and it is a growing subculture. Because as, as mainstream culture gets more and more rotten and falls apart, and more and more young people are frustrated and looking for answers and not finding it in the mainstream pop culture's that 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 we know of they go off looking in subcultures they go off looking for their tribe and many of them have found their way to the to the to the furry subculture um i saw i saw a couple of uh 
I don't exactly remember where, so you just have to take my word for it. But I saw a couple of surveys. The survey said that um, furries were like 85% white or something like that. Uh, mostly young, mostly uh, somewhere between 15 and 24. About 85% white. Um, and, you know, my understanding about the furry subculture is it's about 90% male. That's a pretty disaffected group of people right now. That's a pretty disenfranchised. That you, you bring in those demographics, and that's a very disenfranchised group of people in the West right now. So these are the people most of the furries we talked to suspect were behind the chlorine gas attack on Midwest Fur Fest 2014. And at first, we thought that was where this whole struggle for the soul of the fandom had really kicked off. But then we talked to Chip. The purpose of the interview was to discuss his experience helping the FBI investigate the attack. But like Dio, Chip has dedicated a huge amount of his time to defending his community from fascist infestation. And he told us that the whole story of Nazi furs went way back, way further than 2014. Well, early on in 1998 in the fandom, uh, there was a few people incredibly frustrated with LGBTs in the fandom um, or people who are vegan or people who were obviously bad, like zoophiles. They hated all kinds of things. So they hated bad things and they hated reasonable things like LGBTs. Um, it was all started by someone named Squee Rat, uh, who goes by Iron Spike now. And Squee Rat wrote a manifesto about how these people should be ashamed of their kinks, need to be ashamed of being weird or awkward or different. And it attracted a group of people who formed the Burn Furs. Now, this was all Chip mentioned of the Burn Furs and Squee Rat, but he also said the word manifesto, which really perked up our ears. We uh, love us some manifestos here on Worst Year Ever. Love is in quotes. We hate them. But we had to check it out. Squee Rat's manifesto called This Sorted Little Business begins, I remember when being a pervert was a bad thing. Oof, off to a great start. If you were warped, you tried to hide it. And good for you if you did. If you were going to polish your rod to autopsy photos or bugger a Shetland pony, you did it in the privacy of your own sick, sad home. No one else, especially not me, had to know. And that was great. The best part was, if you decided to crawl out on the roof and inform the neighborhood via midnight megaphone that being urinated on got you hot, you would be told, in no uncertain terms, how very diseased you were. Most people I know don't have too much trouble distinguishing between a lifestyle choice and a warning sign. Yep, in many parts of the world, the idea of making love to Andy Panda is still regarded as somewhat misguided. Most parts, that is, except furry fandom. I don't know what the hell happened here. Live and let live is an excellent tree-hugging philosophy, but it doesn't do much when the ones you refuse to kill are dragging you down with them. If you like animal-based stories, cartoon, or art, you're a furry, and like it or not, furry means pervert. This didn't come out of nowhere, either. Now, this sets the tone, and we don't need to read too much more of it. Uh, the rest is a list of general grievances regarding the furry community and what constitutes a real furry. The manifesto condemns a variety of things, starting at, understandably, bestiality. But curiously, it quickly gets away from that and covers those who treat furry like a lifestyle, pretend to be werewolves, spirit animals, veganism, and furries who allegedly wish they were animals. This attracted people who were tired of articles and media stories of furries discussing sexual practices and aspects of the lifestyle, conflating them with the entire fandom. The manifesto complains... 
To me and a lot of other people, furry simply means a fondness for animal-human combinations in arts, movies, books, whatever. If you're biased towards Redwall novels, have a soft spot for anime cat rolls, or can't drag yourself away from the secret of Nim, chances are excellent that you're at least slightly fur-inclined. That's pretty cool by me. The simple definition is probably what started furry fandom in the first place, but you would not believe some of the baggage the term furry has taken on. So Squee and others who shared these concerns eventually formed the aforementioned burned furs, called that because, according to Squee, it represented, quote, furs who have spoken up against fandom perversion and been burned at the stake for it, end quote. As the burned furs said in their mission statement, anthropomorphics fandom is being overrun by sexually dysfunctional, socially stunted and creatively bankrupt hacks and pervs. This slow transition is interesting because we see this in a lot of far-right recruitment in these subcultures and fandoms. They zero in on something everyone agrees is bad, like bestiality or pedophilia, but then they conflate it with other behaviors that they just don't like, slipping the group further and further into general intolerance. Certain Burn Furs members were intolerant of homosexuality. Christian furs, obscure fetishes, and erotica. This is notable because many of the group's members were also creators of erotica. This is, again, a semi-regular occurrence in far-right circles, where they decry degenerate behavior while also participating in it, which is why it wasn't surprising when Chip told us, It attracted a group of people who formed the burn furs, and they were generally far-right groups. Uh, Some of them were neo-Nazis. And the crazy part is, those burn furs from 1998 are part of these furry raiders now, the alt-right. And one of the leaders, Foxler of the Furry Raiders, was a burn fur at the time. Wholly unsurprising. But this illustrates something the furry community has always had to deal with. Intolerance and bigotry within their community. The burn furs were only a thing for about three years. During their time, others in the community formed an opposition group, Freezing Furs. Other opposition groups were non-aligned furs and furry peace, which promoted general inclusion. So the furries have always had conflict, but they've also always been diligent and steadfast in expelling zoophiles and pedophiles and keeping hate as far away from their community as possible. For decades, all by themselves, while the media and society at large dismissed their whole fandom, as Lucky explains. You know, um, I think it's a really um, drastic difference when you're looking at something like uh, or comparing to something like the anime community, you know, I mean... You can go on anime Twitter for a uh, day and you can find, you know, pedophiles, zoophiles, Nazis, a lot of Nazis um, behind anime profile pictures. I mean, you'll find them in pretty much every walk of life in and uh, every post on Twitter, really, that involves politics. Um, And the furry fandom, I feel, has way less of a problem with it because the behavior really isn't tolerated. you know, people speak to cancel culture or whatever, but it's it's just holding people to a standard, you know? And um, I, I think the community does a really good job with that. Before we go, we need to tie up a loose end. At this point, we know the furry raiders were staying on the 10th floor of the Hyatt on the night of the attack. We also know that Foxler was not there. What we didn't know, however, is that Foxler and the Confederate fursuiter worked together. This is Chip describing what the FBI came to talk to him about. They wanted to know about a particular person Foxler was working with who did go to MFF, who worked at a water park, who was uh, arrested for creating a stink bomb in a bank. And he had chlorine in his car at one point during the convention. Yeah, (laughs) 
That's not something you normally bring to a party. Chip wouldn't say this person's name out loud, but if you recall at the top of the episode, we played a clip of Dio describing Magnus Deridian, a.k.a. the Confederate fursuiter. The man who had previously been arrested for using a stink bomb and who also stayed on the 10th floor of the Hyatt that night. You start to piece it together. This line of reasoning seemed even more likely once we looked into Magnus's background. In 2004, he was arrested and charged with terroristic threats, recklessly endangering another person, and disorderly conduct. The charges stemmed from an altercation at a bank that ended with him throwing what he described as stink bombs he bought on eBay. In an old blog post, Magnus makes it seem like this was just a simple prank that the police took way too seriously. But in his own blog entry on the attacks, Magnus admits that a pregnant woman was hospitalized due to his supposedly harmless stink bomb. A hazmat team had to be deployed to the bank. In the end, he was only sentenced for disorderly conduct, not terroristic threats, but he still spent eight months in jail. So you have a guy with a history of deploying dangerous chemicals in crowded areas when he gets pissed off on the same floor of the convention as the chlorine gas attack. They know that there is a matching roll of tape in this guy's apartment. And there's chlorine that was found in his car. They know all of this, but they can't seem to get enough information or evidence to convict, I guess. And so if they can't convict, they're not going to move forward. Between the, shall we say, unsatisfying response from law enforcement and the downright insulting response from the mainstream media to the Furfest attack, the furry community found itself kind of alone in confronting an increasingly dangerous far-right movement that wouldn't hit the national stage for three more years at the deadly Charlottesville rally. Bereft of support and living on the ragged fringe of popular culture, the furries had to develop their own tactics of community support and self-defense. So in part two of this series, we'll explore the strategies the furries developed to defend their community from rising white supremacist threats. Their struggle was ignored by the mainstream media for years, but there are lessons in it for all of us here, now, in 2020. As crazy as it may sound, the things the furry community learned since 2014 provide an incredible roadmap for how all of us might just manage to survive the worst year ever. Play us out, us. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. 
from memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long. Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.